Hi, this is Sonia Walger and welcome to Bookish, my podcast where I talk to interesting people about the five books that have shaped them most. My guest this episode is actress Julie Bowen. She's best known for playing Carol Vesey on Ed, Denise Bauer on Boston Legal, Sarah Shepard on Lost, and most recently Claire Dunphy on Modern Family. The latter has earned her six Emmy nominations for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, an award she went on to actually win in 2011 and 2012. Julie is beautiful, wicked funny, and was kind enough to let me interview her in her LA home while none of her three boys was present. Sadly, some sort of gremlin invaded my microphone and there is a clicking sound that starts about halfway through the interview. I didn't discover this till later and we've tried to minimise it as best we can, but it is there. So just know it's not you, it's me. And apologies, it won't happen again, I hope. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to my podcast. I am thrilled. I'm thrilled to do something, to talk about something other than um, uh, hiatus, writer strikes, <laughs> or contract negotiations. I love books. Do you? Are you a reader? Have you, do you oh. identify as a reader? Uh, yes, I think absolutely. I knew that, which is why you're here. Yeah. No, I, I'm. I'm an impassioned reader, and now I, when I spend two hours a day in a car, now that you can go back and forth between an audiobook and a regular book, mm. you know, you can sync them seamlessly. I'm constantly reading. That's brilliant. I have not figured that out yet. So you go from a kin- from a Kindle to an audiobook, or it just took a me regular a really, book. Really, I used to buy both mm-hmm. and then tried it, and then was like thumbing through at night because you, I want to read and bed you want mm. to read a book mm. and like curl up on a couch and read a book but there's I love listening to books when I'm running when I'm driving um and yeah they, they go back and forth now I've got it figured out it took me a while to figure it out yeah a 10 year old could figure it out in about five minutes <laughs> <laughs> but do you like what are you listening to your audio what's the audio book you're listening to now Right now, I'm listening um, and reading at the same time Hillbilly Elegy uh, yeah. I, mean, I don't read and listen at the same time simultaneously but I go back and forth who's uh, narrating it you know I think it's J.D. Vance it sounds because he has a little bit of an accent so Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's J.D. Vance Uh a bad narrator that will ruin it ruins it totally ruins it absolutely do you do podcasts or do you just do books oh podcasts endlessly yeah me too I love podcasts I'm addicted but I need a break sometimes from too much reality Mm. I I get I go into deep dives on the news and politics and again I want fiction yeah and I keep and I go back to it I stayed away from Hillbilly Elegy for this you know, reason yeah for yeah. a year me too I, thought not, I haven't read be, it yet it's convince me do I should do I go there it's a story mm-hmm. it's a it's a biography of a guy mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be these are the politics of the south yeah and me this too is, yeah and you know 49.2 percent of this that and that it would be very dry and it is a story about a as he says redneck family that has migrated from Kentucky to Ohio. And then he he sucks you in with this beautiful story of these amazing people who are living by, you know, by their bare grit. Right. And in that story starts to explain what's happening in that part of America. Right. And so you, you get the social message or you get the political, you know, um, facts, but you get them packaged in a delightful story, and right. the story's great. Right, which is the way the best literature works, right? That you get a message, but you don't feel you don't you're feel getting it. it. You're yeah. just getting seduced into caring about this group of people, and then before you know it, you've understood 
you know, the structure that, that made them who they are or the, the economy yeah. that's put them there. Exactly. And this, that's exactly what this book does. And I put it off for so long mm. reading it because I thought, oh, it's just going to depress me. Right, right. I know that's exactly why I haven't gone to it. But It's you're... not depressing. Okay. I mean, uh, it's about humans and the human condition. And whenever you're talking so about real people, <laughs> it's both depressing and uplifting. Right. Because you're really talking about their interactions and their feelings and whether they have money or not right. or where they're from is less important than mm-hmm. their, their interactions. Yeah. Did you grow up? With a love of books? Was that in your family? Was that handed um, down? Was this, where did it come from? Well, I have, yeah, no, definitely. I have two sisters and now I have three boys and everything is like after school sports and Lego building and robotics mania and um, <laughs> flight football. And we didn't do any of that. Right. I don't know if it was because we were girls or if they just didn't do all that stuff. Right. Like 4,000 years ago. Yeah. But my mother would take us. Every Tuesday night to the Towson Library, which was near our house, uh-huh. and every Tuesday, every other Tuesday, I think you could take out books for two weeks, and we would go, we would take home a pile, for, we could go and take out any books we wanted in the in this one section, mm-hmm. which was huge, it was a really nice library, mm-hmm. and we'd take them out and go to Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. Great. Which was because my mother didn't, so great. So wasn't. Was your mother English? How no. Did, what, where did fish she and just chips decided that it wasn't fast food because okay. it was fish and chips. <laughs> so it was sort of fancy. Fantastic. And we'd like put vinegar all over everything. That's we'd have so interesting. fish and chips. It. But it's just European fast food. Yeah, totally. Right. So mom was like. And, but let's clarify English fast in, food. English. It's fast not food. even European. But I mean, yeah. And who's Arthur Treacher? Nobody knows. No one knows. So we had a good Arthur Treacher Fish and Chips, go home, and everybody had to write down their list of books, the five mm-hmm. or six books that they got, because otherwise we would lose them in the chaos of the house. Right. And uh, we'd read insanely, always. We read and read and read. And did you we, swap with your sisters? Would you trade? Would you? Did you develop different tastes? We definitely developed different tastes over time, but not until we were older. When we... when. We were younger. My younger sister could read faster than me over my shoulder. And it was wow. so annoying because she would say, turn the page. Turn the page. And I was like, I am reading Betsy, Tacey, and Tib at my own pace, damn it. I do not want someone telling me when to pick up the pace. Yeah. Um, she was super, super smart from a very early age. Right. Um, Molly liked boys. And my older sister was um, more of a social, not social, but read about... Girls her age and mm-hmm. girls she related to. If I remember, I'm sure there's she would tell a different sure. story. And I liked things that were out of my experience. Hmm. Like what? Like the Secret Garden, which is your right first one of my book, one of my five which is, um, faves. Francis Hodgson Burnett and published in 1911. Well, I remember reading it and being very frustrated. My mother gave it to me, or we got it at the library, and I couldn't understand it. And they were using language I didn't understand, right. and she, once she explained a few things to me, you know, there was a few simple things like, you know, because in India they were speaking a certain way and then when they get to England they speak right. a certain way. And it was just a few things. She just explained colonization to oh. you. <laughs> no, she really, she actually completely left that out. Okay, smart. Probably and, a wise choice. And Wait, you're how old when you're reading this? Do oh, you think? my God. Nine, ten? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there. I remember... And I then suddenly the story took hold, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I loved the idea that there were these secrets, yeah, and that there were these 
secrets everywhere, all right. around you. And I grew up in Baltimore, and in a lovely part um, just outside of Baltimore, and it was filled with gardens, mm -hmm. and everybody was they had beautiful little houses and plots of land. Yeah. And I loved this idea that there were secrets everywhere. Yeah. And that you know that's what happens in the secret garden. She finds this world, and it kind of made me. I was constantly going around and counting the windows on my house. Oh, really? I would count them from the inside and count them from the outside. Because, because uh, in the story, there's um, the little floor. Is that her name? I think yeah. it is, yeah. It, it should be. Give me, it should be. Give it should me, be. Give it the given <laughs> So we're going to go with floor. Um, she, uh, well, maybe it's Mary. Anyway, I can't remember. But she is in this big old house, and she goes around and counts the windows and realizes that there are rooms that are unaccounted for. And then it turns out there's this cripple, right? Yes, there's this hidden Colin child. who's living who in lives there. in the house and she's a brat she's terrible but it's you know uh, in retrospect she was raised by wolves <laughs> I and mean, she was raised in india by you know a socialite a mother yeah. who didn't care for her right because she wasn't pretty and right. she wasn't social and they all die of she ends up getting sent back to england it's funny because all those books were so dark yeah and i loved that yeah i loved the like Oh, they died. And my kids would, they, you know, if I give them a book to read, they go, does anyone die? Right. No, Billy's the same. My daughter's four. And she keeps saying to me, is it scary? Is it scary? And it's with longing that she asks, not, not with fear. Really? Oh, Billy wants a story. She says, can you tell me a story? And can it be a little bit scary? Not too much, just a little bit. See, I think girls are tougher when they're younger. There's something more resilient about their imagination. I mean, boys are maybe... I, and I know this is a huge, huge generalization, but they they seem to be what you see is what you get with right. boys. Yes, I when think they're young, true. it's not to say that they're stupid or but they, they don't seem it. to they're have stupid. the elasticity <laughs> of their imaginations. Yes, um, even when they're imagining things, right. at least my kids, it's very concrete. Right, like, let's build, and they build a city out of boxes it's or something. More literal. But it's right yeah. there. Yeah, and um, I remember as a child, like walking and with my sister my younger sister in particular and just making up stories right. all day long yeah. we would we didn't make anything <laughs> right no it's true billy's the same she's not interested in legos but she will tell you right. a story until her eyes bleed i mean yeah. she just can't get enough of it and you can really live in that sort of very elastic world and the boundaries get fuzzy and i remember putting the book down and looking around and being like Oh my God, this world is so boring. I'm going to go count the windows. Maybe we right. have. Maybe there's a cripple somewhere. Please, please, have a, anybody. I, I mean, this, the idea that there were secrets somewhere. Yeah. Because um, the adult world always seemed mysterious. I mean, right. it seemed mysterious to me as a yes, child. Sure. And I thought, maybe it's mysterious because it's so interesting. Right. Now that I'm here, I realize it's only mysterious because it's so boring. so boring. It's so boring. No one wants to talk about paying bills. <laughs> but, no, but it's true. It's totally true. I think we all, I mean, I certainly had a fantasy uh, about being adopted as a kid because it yes. just felt like that sense of alienation as a kid where you were like, I don't belong here. Perhaps yes. it's because my parents too died of cholera in India and I too have completely different But don't you background. think, I mean, I, my limited experience, girls in general again, tend to really delve into that the uh orphan fantasy yeah and 
Um, so thus far, I mean, I have three boys. They've never shown any interest in that. Right. Whereas girls will play this game of I've been left all alone. Yeah. I'm a little waif in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. And I used to do that too. Right. But this is where I think, you know, when people rail against Disney and they're like, why do the parents always have to die in the first act? And I'm like, they come by it. Honestly, man, find me. They the- need to die. In the first <laughs> <act>. <laughs> you have no story. Otherwise. You have no story. A child, a rich princess is raised by two loving parents. The end. It's the not end. a story. It's so true. Exactly. Nothing happens. But it's also like, they didn't, didn't, Disney didn't invent this formula. No. Like, the great works of literature begin, but the, particularly with kids' literature, yeah. I think, begin in darkness. The great oh, works no. of, di- of literature acknowledge that a kid's place in the world and imagination in the world is a dark one, is a, is a scary and precarious one. But I don't find it as much now with kids. I mean, the new Disney movies don't have as much death. And I mean, where's Bambi is... You can't no. not sob. Dumbo, um, I can't even watch the adult no, without crying. Frozen, I had, you haven't got daughters. I've had to oh, sit I'm through so Frozen awesome. more times than I care to admit. I couldn't make sense of it. It's an, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, this is where I sound like this humorless human being. My sister and I both, we went to see that movie with all our kids. And she literally over the popcorn goes, it's an anti-masturbation tale. <laughs> it's a Victorian warning about not touching yourself. <laughs> this is so great. This and is I said, so great. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly <laughs> right. And it's all this like, wear don't gloves. Feel it, don't feel it. Conceal it. I know. I know. And we were like, this is a weird No, it's scary. Thing. It's scary. It totally is. is it? I know. I know. It's a bit it's horrendous. I can't even. I can't even give it more airtime because of how much it takes up in my house. Mm-hmm. I'm but, sure. Um, but yeah. But no. I think the the point is is that you know, I, I when I was talking about the fact that you know if, if I were to do this podcast, where the wild things are would be one of my books, mm-hmm. and I think it because of this because of this darkness that it gets that gets included, and I. I felt the same way when I was so pleased when I saw The Secret Garden on your list because I felt like, oh, yes, Frances Hodgson Burnett was so genius at being like, yeah, I'm going to take an orphan child mm. who's utterly alone in the world and that is my hero. That is my hero. And she's utterly unsympathetic in the beginning. Yeah, she's repentant. She's a brat. She has tantru- temper tantrums. And it's not, of course, until she meets the less fortunate Colin and she starts to, and she's healed, and you know, there's a nature theme, and yeah. she's healed by nature. And, and did you read the secret? Oh, no, not secret. The Little Princess, which was another yes. one of where she's in the. Was attic. that her? Yes, isn't that her? Yeah, I get. I, I, I remember. As a kid, you don't pay attention to authors as much unless they're in a chunk. Yeah, no, like, it's you know, huge volumes. Yes, like yeah. like Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, did you do that one? Oh I yes, but I also had a hard. I had a hard time when you said five. I I thought. For that sort of slot of that that sad orphan, I almost picked Mandy by Julie Andrews slash Edwards. No, I don't know it. Oh my God, it is the story. She wrote, Julie Andrews, the actress, wrote under her married name, Julie Edwards. I didn't know that. And she wrote this book called Mandy, and in the end, it's, a, it's an orphan. And all I remember is that the last three pages she finally finds she walks into this house and she realizes she's home and I would just read it over and over just to cry really and you know, I'm 10 years old and yeah it's like what the reason why people watch this is us yeah just to cry <laughs> <laughs> just for the release of it yeah the yeah. sob it feels so good yeah the next book that you had mm-hmm. was um, well. You tell me which order you should they should go in. I, don't I have know. Catcher in the Rye and I have Wifey. And oh God, one? yes. Well, I think Catcher in the and well, no, Wifey. I think I discovered 
when my family was on a um, so wifey is by Judy Bloom. Wifey is a trash. Right. Judy Bloom is. You can really argue pros and cons, but she was a groundbreaker. Oh, I have nothing but love and reverence for Judy Bloom. And, and Are I you mean, there, I, God? It's me, Margaret. Well, those ones, I always felt like, I know what you're doing, lady. Right. Like, I, uh, you know, a flubber. Yes. And I knew from page one, she didn't sneak up on me. Right. With um, Forever. I remember I wasn't allowed to read Forever. Oh, no. No. Tiger Eyes? Um, I don't remember that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know that I have, I'm familiar with her entire oeuvre, I just apart from Wifey, which I did not know. Because it was it was an adult novel. I mean, it was right. a grown-up novel. And my mom was reading it while we were on vacation, and we happened to be, we took a, this was a one-off from my family, a Winnebago trip mm-hmm. from San Diego to San Francisco. Not a typical trip for my family, but we were in such close quarters mm-hmm. that we were sort of all in each other's stuff all the time, and my mother had this book. And you're a teenager at this point? No, No. I was 11 maybe, you know, right on the cusp of being really curious about sex and everything. Right, sure. And maybe I was, no, I was 12. I was probably about 12. So I was really very curious about it. And she kept howling with laughter. She was reading this book and laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? She said, oh, nothing. So of course, the minute she put it down, I would like slip off with it and I would read all the dirty bits. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe that this, my mother was laughing at that. Right. My mother thinks sex is funny. Right. <laughs> this kind of sex is funny. It was such a, a great revelation, but right. like finding out that your parents are humans. Yeah. How is it possible? I mean, there were sorts of, all sorts of really, it wasn't weird or dark. It was very light. It was about like suburban, a suburban wife who decides she's going to do some like, some like a key party kind of a thing. Right. And ends up doing a, like having an affair with a neighbor, but the whole time she's totally neurotic about it. And, and it's very relatable to sort of like the, the regular suburban housewife syndrome of, Ooh, I want to be a liberated seventies woman. Right. But, but I have to see all these people at carpools. That feels weird to me. <laughs> um, so she ends up having, um, this affair with someone she doesn't realize is her neighbor. Cause he always wears a, a motorcycle helmet. While he's having yes. sex with her? Oh, come on. This is so great. And I need to read was, this book immediately. And when she finds out who it is, everything, I don't remember what happens to her that it's not the same anymore, maybe, if I recall, because now he doesn't, you know, the mystery's gone and she's going to have to see him at, at a party or something. And um, it, it just made me, I realized, I wasn't sure what some of the jokes were. I didn't get why it was funny. Right. But I got that it was adult right and there were was it dirty was it like yeah oh yeah, yeah it was dirty and was but that it was funny dirty it was funny daddy because i was, was like is dirty. it because i remember it being slightly scary to a degree too when you're right on that cusp of not having experienced it so it's still mm. utterly unknown and the body parts are still a little yep. bit fucking yep. fuzzy yeah. and nebulous yeah. in there that there was a degree to which it was kind of, for me anyway i remember reading judy bloom and it at feeling breathless with like Oh, this is this is scary. Is this how it's? Is it going to be like that? I just remember it being kind of daunting as well. I think it was. Or was it? I more remember something being daunting. I remember like sneaking glimpses. At, like everyone was reading Clan of the Cave Pair. Or right. that, oh, that was it. Anyway. We said all. I I only read the dirty parts. I was probably yeah. you know tw- again twelve or something. Right. And that was terrifying. Right. I mean, it was essentially you know. Um, 
you know, they're all cavemen and they like beat the woman over the head and drag her by the hair. And, you know, it's not rape because this is our culture. And it was just, um, that was very frightening. Right. Um, but this, there was something about the fact that my mom was laughing. Right. And cackling in a way that seemed past my experience. And so I wanted to know desperately whether or not the book was good, bad. I Who couldn't knows? tell you. Did your mom ever know that you'd read it? Did you, con- did you know? Probably not. She would think that that was funny. Right. You know, cause she was very, when it came to Judy Bloom's actual books, she was fine with all the way up to, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Like periods, no problem. Yeah. Ralphie and forever, yeah. forever. And then the girl named, doesn't she name his penis Ralphie or something? Or is Ralphie the boyfriend? She named the penis something. <laughs> I just remember Molly, my older sister, who was not about hiding or lying, mm-hmm. just putting it out there and going, I'm reading forever. And my mother just saying, please don't, not in front of your sisters. And right. honestly, I, I read that. I remember reading parts and going, Ugh. This is gross. This is part boring. Of it, I remember part of the appeal for Judy Bloom for me was cultural because it was so. Everybody was talking about it. Well, no, it was that it was so American and being raised in a oh. English in an English boarding school in a completely repressed system where sex is something that you just don't talk about till you're about 73. And then even then it's just not happening anyway. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was so other. It felt like t- reading about an alien civilization that there could be the idea that there could be teenage girls out there who were having these conversations with each other and with their mothers and who were actively trying to get breasts when all of me and all of my friends were like wearing as baggy a sweater as we could to disguise the fact that we had boobs coming in. I just remember it being like honestly like reading about creatures on Mars. Did you think that Americans were all like horrifying no not at all I felt just completely intrigued I mean let's not forget we're talking about you know I was born in 1974 and so I'm you know 11 12 the world is smaller then there's no internet there's no you know I remember a girlfriend going to America to see her godfather and coming back with white jeans and a Walkman and and we were all just like (laughs) oh my god let me touch these crazy what is this Walkman of which you speak I mean we were all like (laughs) she had come back with like trophies from the bottom of the sea and we circled them and if we were lucky we were allowed to hold the Walkman and the white jeans were only for Sundays and there was a whole thing about it because it was so far away and Judy Bloom brought it in brought it close for me were you allowed to read Judy Bloom at English boarding school well you weren't allowed to read anything that wasn't Dickens at boarding school (laughs) so anything we were reading we were reading like you know with a torch under the covers at night time so no not allowed and it was certainly not encouraged but as a result it became like completely pervasive throughout the school was we all handed our much thumbed copies of are you there god it's me margaret yeah, right i exactly. never thought of it as being american because of it course felt, it was, well it felt a little foreign to me too just because i i didn't wasn't having those conversations with right. my friends either right and i definitely was of a Sort of, and I ended up in American boarding school, but oh, like did you? baggy clothes, and we don't we don't wear the sex on the outside. Yeah, whatever you, do, it's it's fine. We're gonna acknowledge that it's fine. We're never gonna talk about it, right. but a little bit more covered up. So when I read those books, I felt like it was something that I still wasn't part of. Right. But. Were you? How old were you when you went to boarding school? Oh my god, I thought you were gonna say how old were you when you have sex? I was like, <laughs> oh, I thought this was about books. <laughs> I went to boarding school. Oh god, I'm sure, to you, you'll be like. Nothing. 14. No, that's fine. I well, was how old were you? 11. 
See, I mean, my God. Can you imagine? No. No. Were you with your sisters? Were you on your own? Molly was at the same boarding school Mm -hmm. at St. George's. And then Annie uh, went to a different one. She was so sick of being the third girl at every school. So So she she went to a different one. Did you feel, did Judy Bloom resonate in any way in terms of the alienation of adolescence? Or did it feel, because I just remember boarding school feeling when I, I mean, I was 11 when I got there. And I just was like, I've been dropped on another planet. This is this is utterly unfamiliar and and strange. And who are these girls? It took me such a long time to figure it out and fit in. I don't think I related as much to the parts, the Judy Bloom books I was supposed to, like the Are You There, Got to mm-hmm. Be Margaret, or Flubber, or whatever those ones that were supposed to be speaking to me. Because, I, like I said, I could see it. Mm-hmm. I knew what she was doing. Yeah, and I liked it better. I mean, maybe it's just early snobbery when I thought I was sort of discovering something on my own. And not being manipulated. Yeah. Or something. yeah. And going, oh, my God, I'm relating to... I mean, I could have put all of Edith Wharton mm-hmm. on this list. Really? But, it, yeah, I just couldn't... There was no way to pick. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way to pick. But I felt that, like, Lily Bart is, you know, my soulmate. Really? Sure. Oh. And But no one told me she was supposed to be. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an element of finding her for yourself. And especially, I mean, she still comes to me when I'm, like, you know, looking in a mirror going, oh, God, and poor Lily Bart by candlelight, and then she discovers electric light makes her look really old and awful. <laughs> <laughs> and she's her only... Her, her only way of her, like paying her way through society is her beauty, and it's going. Yeah, and it's going, and yeah. she's just doing everything she can. Oh, I love all of Edith Wharton, but I definitely felt like in answering the question, what book sort of changed you? Mm-hmm. Wifey changed me because it made me look at my mom like, right. "Are you a person? Right? Are you having sex? Are you, are you laughing? I don't want to think that. Yeah, sure. But yeah, secretly, I think. It. Was your um, was your dad a reader? Or they were they both readers? Your parents? My dad was more of a genre reader and still is very much. He still reads quite a bit, but he likes nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Like it was just his birthday, I sent him Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, okay. I know he'll love that. Mm-hmm. He likes to read a lot of. He likes crime. Mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. He used to read crime fiction. Now he likes to read crime right. nonfiction. He reads histories of the of, you know, Cosa Nostra. Oh, right. He likes all that stuff. Did they read to you? Is it Were you read aloud to as kids or were you more private? Were you more like off? Well, we were course? really little, yeah. Mm. But as soon as we could grab a book and do it ourselves, I, I mean, I remember my dad reading me Blackbeard. Was he the one who had all the wives? Or was that Bluebeard? Bluebeard, Bluebeard. wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I just remember him, re- you know, because he was just picked up the fairy tale books yeah. I read, and I was like, "Oh my god, Dad, this is terrible!" <laughs> this is the room with all the dead with all wives, the wives in it. Or, I don't. Were they dead? No. Were they were statues? Weren't they turned into I don't statues? Know. It was ter- whatever it was, it was. I yeah. thought it goes back to my point that children's <laughs> literature is fucking dark. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> Um, the next book you had on your list was Catcher in the Rye, which yeah. is, you know, but funnily, someone had, um, I uh, interviewed Murray Enos the other day, mm-hmm. and she had Franny and Zooey, so we were talking about Salinger and just how, how just huge an influence he is because we all find him as an adolescent, and when we're most, and we feel spoken to, that was my experience. That's what I felt, and, and I almost, I wanted to take it off four times because I thought it was hackneyed, and I thought, you know what, it's hackneyed for a reason. For a reason. Because when, don't think about how you feel about it 
and I still love the that book. Mm-hmm. I still absolutely love Catching the Rye. But the fact that everybody has read Catching the Rye, it feels like it's been overdone. But I remember discovering it. And How I was old were you when you discovered it? In boarding school, 14, uh-huh. 15. Mm-hmm. And there was this kid taking the train to the city. Yeah. And he was he had this dark inner life, but he was funny. Yeah. And I remember reading it. I think I read it the first time. I thought the whole, it was a funny book. Right. And then I had to read it again to realize it's a very sad book. Yeah. And I still read it. I, it's the one book that's still at home in Baltimore by my bed. And every time I go home, I end up picking it up Do again. Do you really? You read it that much? It's still, well, I don't go home that often. Okay. But it's, it's the one that I always pick up and go, and it's different every time. I can't yeah. believe that I thought this was I just thought it, I remember the first time I read it thinking, oh my God, it's hilarious. And this sort of, I'm such a sophisticate, just like Hayden Caulfield. And then reading it later going, oh my Lord, this is such a damaged child. I know, exactly. Isn't it? This is exactly, which is exactly what I was, I was saying the other day. It's like you reread it as a parent and it's just a completely different experience. All you see is, is, is exactly that is the damage and the like abandonment and, and, and the loneliness and the fact that, um, he feels like a failure because he couldn't save his brother. I know. And I don't think I even, that didn't, I mean, I read it the first few times. It didn't resonate yeah. with me. As a parent, I just, it just is too devastating. And the title always seemed to me like a, as a kid, like, oh, well, that's, it's sort of insider Like, you have to read it to know what it means. Right. And now it's because it's the most important thing in the whole book mm. is that he he dreams of being this catcher in the rye who can stop the children from going off the cliff. And he, I mean, it's a, it's a... That's so true. I've never thought about that. You're right. You're it's totally the whole true. book is right. that thing where he reveals because he's so busy being cool or trying to be cool mm-hmm. and being in love with that girl and being this urbane, this tiny urbane New Yorker. And that, when he tells that story of wanting to be the catcher on the rye, I can't remember if he says it out loud or he just tells us. Yeah, I don't remember what he's doing. Or to Phoebe, maybe. You see all the vulnerability. That's it. All of his failure, all of his hopes are wrapped up in that one story. Right. And it didn't even occur to me until... It hasn't years occurred. later. No, it hasn't occurred to me until you say it now, right now. It's really lovely. I had not thought of that. It, it's so, it's one of those things where the title is so part of the wallpaper of yeah. your life that right. you cease to see it or hear it anymore. I remember, I remember actually weirdly feeling this way about Shakespeare when I got to Oxford and we started having to really properly like unpack it and uh-huh. take each play and all of that. And I remember at one level thinking, I sort of wish that nobody had made me read Shakespeare as a kid, that I hadn't been, mm-hmm. that it wasn't so ubiquitous. Yeah. Because it's now like asking me to tell you what my mother looks like. Like it's <gasps> so familiar. I mean familiar in the loosest right. sense of the no, word, no, but I it's so much mean. part of my world that I don't have any distance on it now. I don't know how to talk about it because... It's in, particularly being, you know, English and every pub is called fucking no, The Tempest or something. I know. You know, so, so there's something, there's something wonderful actually about giving yourself a ton of space between rereads or, or between thinking about Shakespeare or The Catcher in the right. Rye or the title of something because you do, you do actually get to come back to it yeah. with new eyes and with a different perspective and with a little... And there is a reason why these things are beaten to death. Yeah. And to remember 
it's hard to approach it. Like it's something that you, you know, I mean, a Midsummer Night's Dream, please, dear God, don't ever make me see, watch, hear. But there's a reason why. We come back to it. It, it is, yeah. it does something for the first time. And it, it is, and it's so brilliant. Mm. We're just, you know, it's like, you know, we pick up our phone and, and we, we have so, we have everything right there. We, we don't think about how long, how carefully, how mm. structured all of all of that writing was, and even Salinger. Yeah. And then I loved Salinger. I mean, yeah. I just, until I found out that he was kind of creepy and dated young girls. Yeah, did you read, I was thinking yes. the day, that amazing What's her name? biography. What's her name? She lived with him. She but they, with the terrible eating disorders. Yes. And I um, can't believe I'm blanking on her name. I read the book. I know. Really not that long I know. Ago. And that was, that was really upsetting. Yeah. It was. But when he died, I remember thinking, and this wasn't that, he died six years ago, seven yeah, years ago. Like and I remember thinking, but I never met him. Like, <laughs> he, was sort of a, he never got to meet me. Exactly. <laughs> and that we would be changed. Like, it's how I used to feel about Johnny Depp when I was young. Like, yeah. when he meets me. It's good. He will know. <laughs> he will know. He will know. And of course, having <laughs> since met Johnny Depp and having him walk, you know, he looked right past me and on to whatever else. That I, I thought about Salinger, I never. I don't want to meet him until he'll know. Right. He'll know what. <laughs> he'll know that he'll his, my mind Judy, and his he are will intertwined. Know. He will know. He will know. And I thought he died. I was really shocked. Yeah. I'm that egomaniacal. No. He no, died, no. and he did not get. To mind meld yeah. with me, who yeah. really made him who he is. Pretty because much. while I read him, he, you know, when a writer is that alive to mm. you, you kind of feel like you're discovering them. Yeah, you do. It, there's a, it's an absolutely intimate relationship. I yeah. totally agree. It was so intimate. I felt like I knew him mm-hmm. so well. And whenever he said, oh, well, he doesn't meet anybody and he doesn't sign he's autographs, he's hidden away, no one's ever seen him. I was like, um, but hang on, you know, someday Johnny and I are going to go up there. <laughs> this is a while ago, Grant. Uh, you both disappointed me so much. I love, it. I love it. I love the idea of you and Johnny Depp taking yeah. a ride up to the Catskills or wherever the fuck sure, or wherever it was in the mountains and just hanging around that, that little mail, the post office where yeah. he would hang out. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that um, um, when Patricia Arquette, Nicholas Cage wanted to marry Patricia Arquette, and she gave him like. A, a quest. Oh, really? Like, you know, come she back with a silk and scarf. She gave him a quest to get uh, Salinger's autograph or no. else she wouldn't marry him. No. Like and he, and did, he it. did it. And he yeah. did it. He did it. Of course he did. He did it. No. I don't no. know how. Did he buy it? I don't know. But I'm sure Went he Went to the corner and he forged it. Come on. <laughs> go away What's she going to do? Pick it up and no. be like, that's not silent. That's not silent. Silent. Exactly. <laughs> it's on the cover of the box. You can easily copy you it. You can trace it. Yeah. I know. But I did I did feel that personal relationship with him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And felt disturbed by reading nine stories in the, A Perfect Day for Banana Fish. Oh, no. I don't know that one. Oh. Oh, is it, it one of the nine stories, or is that yes? A I believe so. Yeah. Isn't it a perfect day for banana fishing? He's 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 swimming in the ocean with this girl. It's it's Seymour Glass, and who mm-hmm. he killed um, in a perfect day for banana fish, and it's one of his most interesting characters. Then he had to go back and build Seymour Glass from the from the past because he killed his most interesting character. Oh, Seymour really? Glass is in the water with a young girl, and he says, "Look at the banana fish." And do you want to touch the banana fish? Well, it's not a fish. 
it's him. Uh, and he is, feels no, so no. awful that he goes inside and blows his brain. He kills himself. No. And that is our introduction to Seymour Glass, who then comes back in... The Dead Brother and Franny and Zoo. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and many other things. I mean, he, he's in, he comes back over and over, but that's his, his... The first time we met Seymour Glass, it was like just a vomit of... Banana fish. Perfect day for <gasps> banana fish. I believe that's what it was called. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And it was, that's one of those ones that shakes you to your core. Yeah. Because I, I read that in boarding school too, and I didn't get it. Right. You didn't? No. When did you? I knew he was dark and depressed. Um, probably any time. Oh. Any time later. Right. Any time after I'd actually seen a penis. Right. <laughs> but I was that's a real a none of it. I thought, wait a second. <laughs> Wait a minute! All of a sudden, it's clear. I uh, was a late bloomer. Gotcha. <laughs> a very late bloomer. It was like somewhere in college. I was like, oh, now I know what everyone's talking about. This is about. fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When did you read um, *Riven Rock*, which is your next book? T.C. Boyle oh, published in I read. I started reading a lot of T.C. Boyle after college. And I had been an Italian Renaissance studies major. Did you? Yeah, I mean, Why? What took you there? I love that. You look disparaging. Because Why? it was, because I went to Brown University, which is a lovely place that kind of, it's fantastic if you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. If you are on your own intellectual journey, it's unparalleled. Um, I might have done a little better someplace that was had more core curriculum and like mm -hmm. freshman seminars or something because right. I didn't have a fucking clue. Right. I was like, you guys give me work, I do get good grade. Right. That's that's what I <laughs> that's do. That's how this works, right? Right. And they're like, no, 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 you have to find what you want. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> are you kidding me? I have me? to write the questions and answer them. Yeah. And and I'm I mean I came from boarding school yeah. where it was just like so give book read. Yes. Yeah. Write paper, yeah, and um, it was very hard for me. So uh, it, it was hard for me to figure out what I liked. Right, sure. I liked anything I studied. Sure. Uh, so my freshman year, I met this girl, Susanna Fellman. She's still one of my best friends to this day, mm -hmm. and she was so cool, and she is so cool. And she said, "Let's study Italian and go to Italy our junior year." I'd never even heard of this. Great. So I was such. I didn't even know that that's what lots and lots of girls did. Right. And I thought, okay, that's a goal. Great. You just gave me my path. Perfect. No, Susanna never did any of that. I believe she was a English major or psych, English psych double major, uh -huh. maybe. She never did any of those things. So you went alone to Italy? Yes. <laughs> but she gave me this plan, and it was like someone had to give me a plan. That's great. She put it out there. I was like, I have a plan. So it just sort of then, you know, I fall in love with studying, and I fall in love with whatever I'm studying. Mm -hmm. With the exception of maybe chemistry, sure. you know, and so, at, and then also at Brown, your concentration, your major was determined on kind of, you could reverse engineer it. Mm -hmm. And I went away to Italy and I came back and I said, okay, well, let's see what, what major am I closest to? What have right. I almost completed as a right. concentration? And I was a course and a thesis away from Italian Renaissance studies. Wow. So I was like, oh, well that wasn't 
plan. I didn't okay. think I was going there, but I guess I'd <laughs> taken a bunch of stuff. I mean, that would be the heyday of Italy. And where were you in Italy? Um, Florence. Wow. Yes. No, Speaking was, Italian? Speak it completely. Wow. I went to... Italian boyfriends? Mm-hmm. Oh, good times. You brought home Fabio yes, to my parents. Yes, you did. Yes, you did bring like, home Fabio. Oh, my God. <laughs> didn't. They just couldn't even believe it. He spoke not a word of English. He was from, like, one of those really tiny southern fishing towns, and he'd gotten out on sheer force of his face. The most gorgeous thing. Wow. Beautiful. Um, but not... And you brought him back to Baltimore. Sure. And what did he make of Baltimore? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. The stories. I, he lived with me for a summer in New York, and one day I'd come home from... I was waiting tables, and I came home, and he's like, Julie, and it's all in Italian. And he's like, I'm dying, I'm dying. I'm like, why are you dying? He goes, I ate all the prosciutto and mascarpone. And I'm like, I'm going to... Prosciutto and mascarpone. <laughs> I eat a bagel from the deli. What are you talking about? Well, I've been subletting this apartment, and there was a package of raw bacon no. and some cream cheese. No, there was no. And he had eaten it. <laughs> and I was like, and I look in the garbage when I put it together, I felt that I was laughing so hard. And he's like, oh, no, must have put my And I'm like, you're not dying. Well, you might actually be dying. What happens when you eat a package of raw bacon? Raw pork. I couldn't believe Poor it. Fabio. And so, went, so he went home with his... We had to send Fabio home eventually. With he was banana fish between his legs. He was yeah. not interested in um, learning English or... Right. <laughs> I love the we. We had to we send had Fabio. To send, we had to send Fabio. It's not Fabio. I mean, he had never been on an airplane. Oh. You know. But so I, I have an equivalent story, honestly. I brought oh, an Argent, really? yeah, I brought an Argentine back to Ooh. to LA Ooh. once and um he had never left South America before. He was very well traveled within South America, but not not to not North America. And I brought him to LA and I was working. I was doing Mind of the Married Man at the time. What? And I... That was four minutes ago. That was 16 long fucking years ago. And I... How was that part? Oh, my God. So many years ago. Anyway, so I go and I said to him, I've got to go to work. So I leave him in my apartment Mm -hmm. and I've got to take my car. So I'm like, but I'm in West Hollywood, so you can walk around. And I come back and I find him... Fernando, basically sort of rocking. Fernando. Fernando. Fernando, Fernando and Fabio was, could was, really at a party. Seriously, they could rock it up. <laughs> so he's like almost in the fetal position in my apartment oh, when no. I get home. And I walk in and I said, how was your day? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me with like ashen horror. And he said, South America wipes the ass of America. And I said, <gasps> I'm sorry, what do, you, what do you mean? And he was like, everybody I've met here, he's like, because I said to him glibly, you, you'll see so many people speak Spanish, you won't feel isolated because he didn't speak a word of Spanish, I mean a word of English. And he said to me, you're right, I met nothing but Latinos and they were all the service workers. He's like, oh, I, 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 I couldn't, I can't, could not believe it. He's like, I did not meet a Latino who wasn't cleaning, gardening, uh, valeting, oh my God. Uh, filling cars. He he was horrified. His eyes were so open. I mean, it was literally like coming and discovering that his entire race was slaves. That's how he saw it, and he had no idea. And we had to sit down and have one of the more uncomfortable discussions I've ever had about how class actually does exist in America. Oh, okay. And he really he believed the hype. Yeah. He did believe the hype. He had no idea. And he was a fairly left-wing guy anyway. This, I mean, I sent home a raging communist. I mean, he could he could barely tolerate L.A. for about another five days. And 
we didn't last much longer after that. Anyway, oh my this God. was just to say. Let that be a lesson. I have fucking, I, I, have, my, I have my Fabio equivalent and it was not I think we fun. all want to believe, I want to believe that I could, I, for a minute I wanted to believe I could live in Italy. Right. And then I was like, I mean, we never in a restaurant, you know, once a week someone in a restaurant told me, please be quiet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and this was the late 80s or, yeah, it was like 89, 90s. And it still wasn't, I mean, they still kept their women locked away. It was still a very Catholic country. Right. And I had lots of blonde hair down my back yeah. and would ride mopeds around with strange men. Oh, you were breaking hearts left, right, and I was having you. a blast, yeah. but I was an outsider, 100%. Right. Even, no matter how good my Italian was at the time, right. I was an outsider. Right. And ultimately, I was like, oh, and I'm just a loud American. And I am. <laughs> and I am. And that's who I am. And that's who you are. How does T.C. Boyle fit into so this? So when Where I came was that? back from... From Brown, I was done with Brown, and I was done with the Italian Renaissance, and I did. I honestly didn't really know how to read for a minute. Sort of, I kept going to sort of very. I remember reading uh, D. H. Lawrence mm-hmm. for fun with a pencil. Yeah, and I remember my friends making fun of me because they were like, so "What's with the pencil?" Uh, it's so funny. I what relate, are you doing? I and I was like, "I'm underlining my favorite passages." The important like, bits. Yes, and I'm marking them because that. <laughs> and it was still like you know the college mindset, yeah. and um, I think. T.C. Boyle was one of the first authors I started reading after college that I was like, oh my God, this I put the pencil down. Who cares? Oh, I was great. so absorbed in the world that he made. And he wrote about this um, this uh, serial family, kind of loosely disguised version of the Kellogg family mm-hmm. that was you know, these robber barons sort of in the, of the early um, 20th century an incredibly wealthy family, and the man was insane, mm-hmm. and the and the the hero of the story goes insane, and he becomes crazy in this very anti. Uh, he's a total misogynist. But he becomes sexually violent against women, mm-hmm. and they can't do anything about it. I mean, they literally can't stop, and they keep locking him up in this house. And um, I don't know why I thought it was it was so fascinating. Um, again, I think it was this taboo subject sort of right. that nobody talked about. And this wasn't written in a gratuitous way. This wasn't Clan of the Cave Bear. It was supposed to be titillating. Right. This was just this... Re- I'm sorry about the... By the way, I'm sorry Fernando's outside. That's right. Um, Fernando's outside. Um, there was an idea that, to me, it was just... Uh, that, a subject I thought you could never write about beautifully or write an interesting story about or include people in that were not just, you know, um, in Dante's seventh level of hell or whirling about with, like, popes upside down in poop or whatever it is. Like, I, I this story was, in, was completely engaging. Mm. It was at times even funny and was a fascinating book about sexuality, too. Right. And, um... It's one that I've come back to over and over because now I'm lucky enough. Um, our whole family shares a house up in Montecito, mm. and we all bought it 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was running one day, and you go around the neighborhood, and there's Riven Rock. Oh. Riven Rock's a place it's there. It's an actual place. And yes. Now, I now know that T.C. Boyle lives in Montecito. Oh, really? I, but all of this came together much later, uh-huh. and I thought... And I've actually spied him, you know, walking by. Oh, really? I've never met the man, um, nor do I want to, um, 
just because he's a hero and never meet your heroes yeah, now, I, I realize. And I, I realized, oh, this came out of his imagination. He was pulling together all these different things. Mm-hmm. He was pulling together Robert Barons. Yes, he was pulling together this, the last gasp of the Gilded Age of America. Yeah. Um, and this incredibly beautifully structured story about mental illness mm-hmm. and sexual violence mm-hmm. and yet it was all of a piece and no part of that felt wrong or right. off right. and he was doing it while now in this walking around or riding around or whatever he was doing inspired by this place that I ended up living you know half a mile oh, away from funny what a small world and, and yeah and I loved that book and it's one I've always recommended to people because it's not well known. Yeah, no, I don't. I didn't know. I know the women is the only one of his that I know. And I know yeah, and he writes some very funny books, mm-hmm. and he writes some very he writes lots of um, eco warrior books that can oh, really? be some Worthy. of them with a little heavy. Yeah. Um, this I say dismissively. I mean, no, 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 no. He's anybody who is able to put pen to paper for any consistent period of time is a hero. Let's, yes, let's, let's, let's that's just a say given. that. Right that's there. true. But the, some of the his eco warrior stories. Um, I think they make me feel guilty. So mm-hmm. That's my problem. Right. Like, you know, yeah. I'm like, turn on the AC. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with and, you. But this is this kind of this sweet spot of a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like I said, I always seem to relate to the people who were so out of my time. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman, a female nurse in this story that he keeps attacking. And, um, and she lets him? She puts up with it? No, she doesn't. She doesn't, and you know what's funny? I don't. I don't remember all the way. She doesn't, but there is an issue. I mean, he's rich. Mm. What are they going to do? He's right. got. They can't kill him. Right. They can't put him in an institution. So they essentially make a prison out of his home. Right. Out of this like castle-like, amazing Gilded Age home, and um, I don't know. I thought it was, it was fascinating, and it was sort of about. It's also about just how you know being trapped inside the social, Mm -hmm. like that there's this raw animal that's inside everybody that is kept inside of this symbolic prison Mm -hmm. of manners. And that was the height of manners and the height of um, of sort of society and doing things right right in, in America, at least. And to me, it stood so much for something that continues all the time of like in all of us is this horrible beast. Right. We all have a horrible beast. Right. And how we can cover it and lock it up and and put it away. Keep it at bay. Um, it's interesting because you talked about how Wharton, Edith Wharton was another person that you wanted mm-hmm. to put on this list. And I think she's doing the same thing, isn't she? And that she's giving us this extraordinary look at the manners and the society and the fabric that the hierarchy mm-hmm. and how rigid mm-hmm. that structure is. And then what happens when you put the interloper in there? What happens when you put the raw, mm-hmm. uh, the outsider, the 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 raw, untrammeled soul that doesn't know how to obey these rules? Yes, who steps that, out of line? Who, exactly. And it's 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 interesting that that seems like thematically something you've been drawn to. Maybe is is well, you know, if you, I'm sure you're obviously a reader, like the marriage plot, mm-hmm. which was a, an idea I'd never heard of until the Jeffrey Eugenides, um book. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's all... That's a thing. That's like <laughs> most of literature. Yes, exactly. I didn't realize it's all about... And I sp- if, if a woman's involved, mm-hmm. that's where... And all of Edith Wharton was kind of like a radical feminist 
approach to the marriage plot. Right. Because she, for the first time, it wasn't just, yes, they, 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 they're trying to marry off well and stuff, but they're failing and what's going to happen and where will these people go? What sort of agency do they have? Right. What can Lily Bart do right. when she's past her prime? Right. When she's been pushed aside by her last chance, the rich fat guy that she never really wanted. Right. And it was, it, it, it dared to creep a few steps past the marriage plot right. of, well, it's try. It, what if the marriage plot doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. And no one did that. Right. But she was funny enough and smart enough that people were still entertained by the stories. But, but I thought it was very radical. It was subversive. Totally. Yes. It was utterly subversive. I agree. And I think that's what was so brilliant about her was to pose as someone that was doing yes, a society a portrait. Yes. And was actually smuggling in this completely deeply radical these radical women. In yeah. Them. Yeah. These women who were really trying to find some sort of agency, some sort of social, they were trying to find out who they were in society outside of being just a woman, but they didn't even know how to say that. Yeah. Cause they didn't know what it was they were looking for, Right. but they just knew what the rules were and they just weren't supposed to step out of line, but they, or there's also something in them that says, no, mm. I, I have a feeling if that my, you know, my gut is telling me to do something else. something other. But I don't even know what my gut is. I mean, please. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's true. It's interesting. It's interesting that that's such a uh, trope in literature, too, are these, are these, I mean, I guess inevitably, because women have been subjugated for so, so long, and that these female authors found their way, their way to express themselves was to, was to, as I say, to sort of smuggle in, smuggle in their rebellion into what looked like yeah, a slave society Yeah, but I wonder how many portrait. people, I don't know if their contemporaries saw it. Right. I don't know if they cared. I don't know, because, I mean, Henry James is one of my mm. most favorite mm-hmm. writers ever. And he was a great friend of, of Edith Wharton's, and he was undoubtedly on the women's side. I mean, he was Isabel mm. Archer, oh, yeah. Portrait of a Lady. Oh, yeah. And, and all of his women, what Maisie knew, all of them, they're all... Uh, they're all out there forging their own path and resolutely saying, "Fuck you" to the status quo. And I think, I think he did see. I think, I think anyone. I think more. He certainly did. But I think, but I think people reading. I think Edith Wharton had um, people that knew what she was doing too. Is what. But I she saying. lived in that. She lived at the Mount, and she wrote in bed right. uh, every day until one p.m. or something. That's when she would get out of her bed clothes right. and, and go and entertain. So she still had that. She was still in that world. Yes, yeah. she still had all of it around her. Yeah. She wasn't locked away in a garret somewhere. No, he was the same. He was a complete yeah. society whore. I mean, if he, he he could not get enough of... He was like the Rupert Everett of fucking It's like Truman Capote. Yeah, exactly. Just couldn't... Just eating it up with a spoon. Totally. Yeah. Rupert Everett. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. He'll be my next guest. We'll have to eat that. Um, your last book was Fortune Smiles by Adam Johnson, <gasps> which was another one I didn't know. I knew Orphan oh. Master's son obviously because everyone knows it but I did not know he'd written short stories tell me about this book of short stories just came out I guess about a year ago and I thought I've just ordered it as soon as I saw it I looked it up and then I ordered it I couldn't I'd read the Orphan Master's Son which won the Pulitzer Prize and all that and it's brutal Mm. I mean it's 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 a gorgeous book but it's brutal and there's a lot of torture and there's not and not gratuitously so it's not torture porn which I can't stand but I still thought I don't think I can do a full Somebody had given it to me as a gift, and I thought, a book of torture porn, or just torture at all. And he will blow your mind. Really? It's probably six different stories, 
two of them, uh, one of them is about North Korea, mm-hmm. um, like the Wolf Master Son, but from a completely different point of view about these two two people that get out. Mm-hmm. And one of them never really wanted to get out. He was doing great in mm-hmm. North Korea. He right. was like a street kid and a hustler who right. was like working the underground. And they get to the they get to South Korea. And one of them assimilates very quickly and becomes sort of, you know, it's a cook or something. I can't remember what he's doing working in a restaurant. And the one that never really wanted to leave and kind of got sucked into this is angry mm. because all of his skills and abilities don't apply right. in this new world. And he keeps he keeps longing for South I mean for North Korea. Oh, and you think that's what? Right. Who ever thought of that? Right. And there's another story, that's the only one that I believe is Korean. There's one about a child molester. Again, I, you, you couldn't tell me I would want to read this. <laughs> a child molester who knows what he is mm-hmm. and is trying desperately to stay away mm-hmm. from children, but ends up these children end up living near him. Right. And I, there's no other way to describe it. But by the you read this story, and after whatever it is, twenty pages, you are one hundred percent on his side, yeah. and you understand that. Um, I mean, it's 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 horrible. He's he ends up masturbating sort of all over the place, but as a to, you know, as to, to stay away stay from away the children. From them, yeah. And you could never say, "Oh, you're gonna love this short story it's about amazing. a masturbating child molester." I mean, he's jerking <laughs> off everywhere. You're gonna love it. It's a knee slapper. It's a riot. But it is a shocking. He's so well written, mm. and his ability to get in this person's head that you. It is despicable. Yeah, and yet you finish and go. I want more. I want. To, I want more of that guy. But what ambition too? I mean, I mean that's a that's a choice, right? To set out to write a twenty-page short story and to pick that as your protagonist. Yeah. Well, okay, wait for the wait for the. Here's the kicker. I saved the best for last. There's other stories in there, but the most ambitious is written from the point of view of his wife. Oh, and wow. it almost made me angry. Wow. It was so well done. Oh, really? Because oh, it, I can't wait for this to arrive now. I want to go home and see it's if It's all about it. his wife's... Now, whether it's true or not true, sure. I have no idea. Right. I mean, the, the basis of it, obviously. It, it, but the wife feeling like her contributions are overlooked mm. in in the world and everything he does is so wonderful and magical. So he, while acknowledging all of her truest, darkest feelings, he takes her story from her Wow! and tells it. Wow! And he tells it so well mm-hmm. and so beautifully and so much from her voice that you mm-hmm. just, you can't believe a man wrote this. You cannot, cannot, cannot believe it. And yet in the end he's doing, he knows, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He, sure. he took her story. Right. And he told it, and it's, oh, God, it, it rips you apart wow. because it's so, it's it's like an O. Henry, you uh-huh. know? Like, sure. it, but he does it so well. He does it better than she could probably ever have done it herself. Right, right, right. And I wonder, I'm dying to know, like, that's someone I do want to meet. I want to know, like, how did he was do that, that a gift to her? Right. Or was it a fuck you? Right. Was it, how was it received? Mm-hmm. Or is that just, she's like, that's nice, dear. You know, like, we've got five kids or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, she's like, I, I, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, you really got my head. Right. But when you read it, you feel. Oh, incredible. I can't so, wait. It's so good. Are you a short story fan? Or is that is this is this something you, you gravitate towards? Or is this an unusual thing for you? I like, 
I find short stories frequently frustrating because I fall in love with the people and then mm-hmm. they're gone. And I, I think I remember reading nine stories. And I was like, nine teases. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I felt I used to feel that the same way. I really did. Just wanting so much more mm-hmm. of the people. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, I can, I can really appreciate it as an art form. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and then, and when Adam Johnson, sometimes you're reading a book of short stories and which ones were, I just read somebody else too recently. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Jim Harrison. And they're, it's the same voice mm-hmm. and they're telling you different stories and they may be beautiful and lovely, mm-hmm. but Adam Johnson, it's, you're not, you're reading I, you're reading from inside of so many different voices, different voices and heads. Isn't it interesting? It's beautiful. That, yeah, I agree. I think it's such an amazing thing because both are valid. Like James Salter is one of my yes, great, that's, that's great, great, great. Oh, is it? How yeah. funny. There's a Jim Harrison, James Salter. So, um, so Salter is one of my oh. greats. And uh, in fact, last night would probably be on one of my five five books. Um, and I and him with him, you know, you're reading a Salter story. Oh, I mean, yeah. you are you are it's in the hands voice. of a master. That wow. elegant, exquisite, so meticulous prose. It, there's, there's no, you, there's, there's no one else who writes like that. But then, but then I'm with you. There's a sort of virtuosity. I'm thinking about this um, collection of short stories called The Boat, uh, and he's, he's a Vietnamese writer called Nam Lee. I think is his name. I may be bastardizing that. And it's similarly to what you're describing. It's I think maybe 10 stories, and you cannot believe that the same man has written all of them. It's just it's it gets to the point where you're like now you're just showing off mate this yes, is ridiculous yes, exactly i, no, I it's, can't get my head around this it's insane and and then you said you just said james salter and i'm like oh god james salter yes he's somebody though who who makes you love short stories so much. because um i don't think i've ever liked his novels as much as i like his short stories right i love his stories I, yeah i'm a fa- i just i love everything i love all his books i think that was oh. sexiest just most Daring, uh, his his. I don't know anyone who anatomizes it's, a and marriage. And he just died, he didn't he? Just died, he yeah. just died. Yeah, he was, ago. yeah, really recently. Because yeah. I remember I was reading one of his books when he died, and I thought, Oh, oh no. my god! Now I now I didn't meet him. him. I did meet him. I did, <gasps> which was amazing. And that was a hero to meet. Tell me, you had a fair, a, an affair with I James? I did Walter. not have an affair. I had a, a sort of a head affair with him. I loved. I had the rights to one of his short stories, <gasps> and I wrote a movie based on Last Night. <gasps> and so I went to his house, and I took him the script, and I had tea with him and his wife in his garden in um, uh, Long, Long Island. Long Island, somewhere yeah. they're out. Watermill. Yes, and uh, and it was it will yeah it goes down as one of the greatest days of did my life. Did you write? No question. Did you write last night? Did you write the script? Yes, I wrote the script. It's called The Last Resort, and it's another, that's another thing. But anyway, yes. So, but I did. I had this extraordinary meeting with him, and then uh, you know I have um, three handwritten letters from him, all of which are written on the backs of old hotel stationery. He obviously just kept saved it, saved paper, and recycled it. <sighs> so um, yeah, they're among the few things that I would. You know, I'd, I'd grab my children, my passports, and my salter letters if there were a fire. That's those would be high on the list of things I to treasure. I cannot believe that you met James Salter and you time. like optioned. How does one option a James Salter story that feels like um, even, it would never even occur to me? I I uh, I'm not even sure how I did it, but I did it, and we, we took some wrangling, and I only got the option for a year, and the options expired, and all the rest of it. But yes, for a moment there, I had the option on a James Salter story. It was it was a great. It was and a he great stayed moment. married. He's been married three times. This is his third wife. Okay. The one I met. I see, yeah, his, his his books are. I mean, his all his story. I mean, he's 
He's a sexy man. He's not sexy man. He was probably a handful. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have some quick questions just to ask you at the end. What was the last book that made you cry? Oh my gosh. Can you think of one? Well, maybe you don't cry in books. No. Oh, I do. I definitely do. It's just the last one that made me cry. Um, boy. <sighs> you can come back to it. I'll have to think of it. I don't okay. know what it was. I can't remember. Um, do you have a book that you're ashamed of loving? I, I, so many. <laughs> I mean, like, so many. I remember... When I, as a kid, the first book I was ashamed of loving was The Chronicles of Narnia when I became, you know, an educated sort of um, agnostic and realized that C.S. Lewis was, it was all about Jesus and everything. I was like, what? Aslan is Jesus? And I was so so upset because I really just loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That's so sweet that you had to disown your own childhood love. Oh, yeah. No, I had to, I had to dismiss him. To let that go. Because... Well, and it's not that I still always will have the warmest feeling about the books, but once I real once someone said, "Oh, well, you know, Aslan is Jesus, and the stone table is the yeah. cross, all that," I was like, "Oh, uh, there we are. It's then. over. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Just ended. Oh, it's terrible." Yeah. But that would be my most prominent one that that's I'm funny. Book, group of books that I'm embarrassed to have loved and still hold a very, very special place of in my course. heart. Of course, yeah. Um, it's good. Most people say Fifty Shades of Grey, so I'm delighted. Oh, God, to no. <laughs> no, I have a friend We who's, she started a book club, and she said, oh, we should do a book club. And I said, I don't, uh, don't want to read mm-hmm. Oprah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Said. She goes, no one-handers. I said, what's... And then I was, oh, uh, one okay. hand reading, one hand is busy. Okay, gotcha. She said, no one-handers. And I was like... Oh, all okay. right. Maybe That's she called in. Fifty Shades of Grey. It's a one-hander. And no thank you. You're right. So good. Um, what's the last book you threw across the room? That is so funny. <laughs> that is so funny because I gave a friend of mine um, a copy of, I love A.M. Holmes. I mm. love A.M. Yes, Holmes. Yes, me too. And... But but you got to ease into A.M. Holmes. Mm-hmm. You can't just you got to know the voice. Sure. And I was stupid. This this person had not read any A.M. Holmes, and I gave him a copy of um, not this book will save your life. Um, oh God, the one that was after that, and I'm blanking on what the name of it was. What about being the mistress? No. And the one where the guy. Um, oh he. Uh, he. I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of it, but. He told me that he threw it across the room. Okay. And I said, <laughs> and I said, oh, oh no, I'm so sorry. You just started. In, you misunderstood. I'm I gave so you the sorry. wrong you, one. Yes, it yeah. should have started you. It should have eased you into eased this. Eased you into it with yeah. music for torching and like brought you along the path. And then you would see <laughs> and you would know and you would be part of the cult of AM. Um, I shouldn't funny. have, I should have put you in the deep end too fast. Right. But that I threw across the room. Oh. I don't know if I throw the book. I'm embarrassed to like close a book and not pick it up and finish it. Are you, that so makes you, me you feel make, you bad. Everything? Although, there. Oh, I'll tell you what I hated. Oh, oh, now yes, <laughs> I. And my the only reason I finished it because my sister, the one who gave who watched Frozen with yeah. me, hated it. Hated it equally and we would call each other every few days and complain about it and kept thinking it's gonna get better. A little life. Oh, I'm so glad you said that one. That's my one. That's my one. That was what provoked me to write this question. It, isn't it the most unremitting horror story Not imaginable? Jude the Obscure. So, has there been so much 
I would like, high five you if it weren't going to pop the microphone right now. I'm so glad that was your I one. I called Annie, and she's the smartest person I know. She was reading it, and I was. I go, Annie, it's awful. Yes. She goes, no, 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 you don't get it. It's funny. It's a joke. No. And she said she couldn't. Two days later, she goes, oh, my God. Oh, no. I think it's you're not right. parody. She said, yeah, I thought it was a parody. No, it's snuff porn. She thought, because I mean, she was like, I can't believe that all of America... Yes. Half the world no, is weeping over this piece yes. of dreck. No, I'm with you. And yet, and again, anybody that sits down and has the temerity and the tenacity to, to, I, to commit to paper in an organized fashion, that many but thoughts. Listen, that's a given. That's a given. But we're only doing this podcast because we all have strident okay. opinions about things. So that yes, was I applaud him for finishing the book. Unbearable. I wanted those hours of my life back. I, did you finish it? Yeah, I did. And I, I finished never finished it. it, but I finished it purely. And I'm unapologetic about throwing things across the room. I don't give a shit anymore. I used to be diligent. These days I'm like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> this, I just felt like, this, this gonna, it's going to turn a corner, right? I mean, yes. Someone's going to be likable. Someone's going to stop flagellating this guy. Someone's going to stop raping him and leaving him for dead in elevators. And he's so At beautiful. At some point, something forgiving is going to happen. And then, and then it ended. And then, and then I wanted my money back. I've never wanted my money back from a book before. I, was, I could not believe how many people I talked to said that they loved it, yeah, that it made them sob. That they just were so moved. And I've also never read an author um, who detested straight people so much that um, <laughs> I thought, could we get one straight person in here who's like, <laughs> just, 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 just some reality, human? just a yes. touch yeah. of reality I in here. It. Not, I mean, his name, what was it? his name? Was Jude? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I took Jude the Obscure, you yeah. know, a book that ends with children killing themselves. Yeah, because we were too many. Yeah. <laughs> we, I remember reading that and also going, oh, oh, Thomas. <laughs> closing it again. Uh-uh. We, uh, that, you no. Took too far. You took me too far. We went took, way too we far. Went deep. We went balls but, deep. In oh, that. yeah. That's, but this was, this was like the modern day, really trashed out, torture porn. Torture porn. Version of Jude the Obscure. Where, and, and then in the end, we, we, we were too many. Yeah. It was just awful. Like a, and, and everybody that said, well, I, should I read it? I showed them a cover and go, that's it. Do you see the cover with the weeping, the kind of sobbing man against the wall? So and I go, this is the whole book. You've seen the book. That's it. This is for the beginning, middle, and end. You it will, never changes. You will thank me. I, and I feel like if I was the woman, and the, the woman who wrote it, it was a woman who wrote it. Oh, was it a woman? It was a woman. Oh, yeah, because I had to figure out. I was like, who wrote this? Oh wow! Who gets I knew, maybe Who I thinks knew this that. is their story? Yes. Um, I because I, I was like, it's no one's story. This is a this is a this is a fairy tale. And this in a way, a I get why Annie thought it was some sort of parody or something. Yes. Like, no, no, it will turn. It will. Um, it was the Furies? Fates and Furies was one that yeah. um, was you know, turned mm-hmm. and turned again, and so you sort of could could yeah, get swept away that. by yeah. it. And this one, I was kept waiting for that turn. No, there was no turn. There was no pivot there. That wasn't going to happen. Anyway, I'm so glad we got to rant about that because I've been waiting for someone yeah, for, to worst. mention that the book worst. and nobody has yet. The worst. I have two more questions for mm. you. What is the book that you know makes you look good when you recommend it? Basically, what I'm saying is you're alone at a bar and you, ch- you have to read one book to get laid. What is the book that you know gets you laid? Or I can put it more politely. You're at a dinner party and the guy sitting next to you is. I was going to say at a bar. I don't yeah. think anybody would care. And, and you know, just to impress him, 
you can drop one book, what's it going to be? Probably a sport and a pastime. Oh, so good. So James Salter, you did. Yeah, and it's, so it's, it's a novel. It is, but it is, it's not my favorite thing that he's ever written, but I think it's... But it is about anal sex. Very sexy <laughs> and dirty and like, and it's, it's manly, you know, it's a very yes. like masculine book. Totally true. So I think that, um... Yeah, that would be the one that it's great. That would have somebody would go it. like, well, what is that? You know, I, it's, uh, and if they I hadn't read it, they're kind of with you. Yeah. I would have sex Thank with you. you. I'm just going to say, Sonia. there you are. We're late. Uh, you get to take one book to your desert island. What is it? It can be one of the five you picked, or it can be another one altogether. Oh God, one book. Yeah, I think I'm going to start giving people the works of Shakespeare because then you can just have it. You can just use it for oh, wallpaper yeah, or firewood say, if, you had... if you need it. You can have the works of Shakespeare. That's your given, but you can get to take one more. Oh, it would have to be something philosophical because I think if I was just reading one thing over and over, it couldn't just be a book that I love, a fiction. It okay. would probably have to be maybe Rumi. Rumi, lovely. Because that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm sure after I read it a thousand times, it would still say something new Yeah, in very few words. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that's great. Julie, thank you. This was such a I riot. I loved it. Oh my thank God, I hope you I haven't made so much. Thank you, you. Of course not. That was Julie Bowen, and you've been listening to Bookish. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please do that. It really helps. Share one of the interviews on social media. Send someone an email to tell them you liked it. Send them a smoke signal. Send them a postcard. Just get them to listen to the show. All of the music is created and performed by my multi-talented husband, Davy Holmes, and the show is produced by the wonderful Joe Batanz. Join me next week for the interview I was most intimidated by, Sean Carroll, professor of dark matter at Caltech University. I think even my mum told me I wasn't up to this one, but I was, and he was wonderful. So listen, you'll enjoy it.